0: Welcome back to another edition of PS Voice. Our guest today is Columbia professor and economist Jeffrey Sachs. He's speaking about his new book on fixing the American economy with Managing Director of Trusted Sources, Christopher Granville.
1: Among other things I'll be discussing with Jeffrey, his new book, Building the New American Economy, uh, with the active assistance of Katarina Slodczyk, uh, the London correspondent of Handelsblatt, and Carlos de Vega, the deputy editor of El País.
0: In this section, we talk to Jeffrey Sachs about his ideas.
1: So, Jeffrey Sachs, thank you very much for joining us. I've had an excellent pastime this week reading advanced copies of the book. Good. Congratulations! I'm Right up to date, mention of President Trump in your in your preface, and then the, even from a glance at the table of contents, readers can see that you are covering uh, a great variety of uh, of elements for sustainable uh, growth and development in the United States. Uh, so. The question always with reform programmes, going right back to developing world emerging markets, is always sequencing, priorities, uh, a tired debate. But uh, if a genie could come out of a lamp uh, and offer you a chance to make three wishes, uh, what would be those uh, top things which would make all the difference, which if implemented would uh, facilitate the rest of the agenda?
2: If it's a really great genie, I would start with President Bernie Sanders uh, because. <laughs> <laughs> that who's written the uh, preface <laughs> to Of, you, of course, <laughs> Senator Sanders wrote the foreword, but uh, it was meant to be President Bernie Sanders because we really need a progressive turn in American politics. At least for the moment, we have uh, perhaps exactly the opposite uh, with Trump. Um, so all of this is quite difficult uh, politically. Uh, I guess the second point I would make is that for once I would like Washington to think. And uh, yep. that means that I'm not a fan at all of this first 100 days business. I'm not a fan at all and was not with Obama of uh, his uh, immediate stimulus of uh, almost a trillion dollars. I don't think our politicians think. And the issues we face are complicated. Uh, they're not simple. and we haven't had a tradition of thinking, we've had a tradition of acting and reacting for a long time. Uh, And I suppose the third thing I would recommend is uh, make some goals. Not immediate, uh, not I'm going to do this tomorrow, but in the book and in uh, the world with the sustainable development goals, uh, these are goals for the year 2030. Now, all of the countries of the U.N., including the United States, adopted them, but I'm sure that our current U.S. government never heard of them. And I would really like the U.S. government, uh, our Congress, to realize that we're signed up to uh, sustainable development. It's a concept uh, hardly known in the United States uh, in, in, in the high politics, though students know it. Yep. Uh, and I would like them to understand that uh, we need some big goals to change the direction so of American if, society
1: if memory serves me right There are 17 of those goals there are uh, the last one one of which is working together on the previous 60. That's very cool So of those 16 if I can press you uh, uh, I don't insist on three but sure, sure. in terms of urgency uh uh, where, where would you place the emphasis?
2: It, it depends uh, where you are and who you are in the world. If you're in the United States, we don't have the problem of extreme poverty. Yep. We have other problems. So we're a major contributor to human-made climate change, SDG 13, our infrastructure, hasn't really been rebuilt for 50 years. This is an area where Donald Trump has talked about doing something, that's SDG 9. So I would say the priorities for the US maybe would be SDGs 9, 10, and 13. Nine and thirteen, infrastructure and sure. energy, and SDG ten is more fair, less inequality, in quality, yeah. because we became an incredibly unequal society. So it's the distributional, and then
1: the environmental, exactly, and the and also the infrastructure, which is linked to the environment exactly. as well. That's it. Okay, so that needs a lot of public action. In in, in your book, uh, Jeff, you're very open about the need for bigger government. Uh, and in your, I think, first chapter, you show uh, a ranking which you've done of OECD countries, how, how they stack up in terms of performance under the UN sustainable development. Yeah. Uh, and the top countries are mainly Scandinavian, if I recall correctly, which uh, have, uh, whose governments spend a large share of GDP. But there are other countries where governments also spend a lot of GDP which are well down the list. Uh, for example, France. Yeah. So there would appear to be a difference between big government that's effective and and big or bigger government, which is less effective. Yeah. Now, how would you how would you explain that? Because getting that diagnosing that correctly is surely an important part if you're applying applying that principle to the United States or anywhere else.
2: I think the most successful countries in the world indeed in a lot of things. Uh, uh, Prosperity, sustainable development, decency, low corruption uh, are the Scandinavian countries. Yep. So we all should take the moment and try to understand what makes Denmark, Norway, Sweden tick. How does sure. it work? There's a kind of seriousness of governance there. Uh, they're very lucky. and Their governments are out to yep. solve problems. There's a, there is a high degree of social capital. Uh, the uh, level of trust is quite high. They collect taxes, and they use the taxes, uh, I think, very effectively to ensure access to quality health care, child care, education, uh, and so forth. So a lot of uh, good lessons. A lot of things to emulate. You you take a a country like France, I I think it's a pretty wonderful country, by the way, but uh, you take a country like France, which isn't doing it uh, quite as well, and there are a few specific things I would say in my own diagnosis. They tax and spend a lot but a huge amount of it is their pension system which is incredibly generous yep. and too generous uh, in a way but the politics has not been able to crack that because that's such a powerful powerful, powerful lobby. Uh, and if, so- I can, if I can just take
1: you back to that concept of trust. You mentioned trust is a very important part of the Scandinavian success story. and. I'd just like to put that in the context of redistribution, basically higher taxation, which is a, a very important theme in your book. I mean, doesn't this go way beyond a standard you know, politics, you know changing this tax law, that tax law? It's about, Civic values. You, I mean, there's a lot of ethical agenda here, which goes way beyond political cycles. It seems to me. Uh, Ab- would, you, would that absolutely. be fair? And then we can perhaps yeah. put that in the present political context.
2: It, it's um, it's completely fair, and that's a, yeah. the second word of smart, fair, and sure. sustainable, yeah. which is the subtitle of the book. This is a society in which everybody should do all right. Yep. And uh, by the way, nobody they think should do so super spectacularly that they're abusing. Uh, the social order. Uh, so when a Scandinavian uh, CEO takes a, a pension or severance pay of an American style of tens of millions of dollars uh, in uh, severance, there's a program. Who do you think you are to, to get that kind what of pay? And some scandalous. of some of the business people I know are couple that have been involved in that, quote, scandal, say, "Uh, but that's how it's done in America. They say, yeah, but we're not America. We, in our country, we want more equality as a positive idea. There's another sense, of course, which is that everybody pays taxes and everybody gets benefits. And the idea that in America, I don't want to pay tax for that guy. I don't want to pay tax. They're completely different. And so... The fact of our diversity and low level of trust, and we have an idea in America, which I think is a horrible idea, that uh, there are the doers and the moochers, you know, the people taking, and if you're taking, from the system, you're cheating, cheating it somehow, it. Yeah. and th- this is a horrible idea yeah. because it means we don't really have a trusting society. We can't yeah. have basic social decency.
3: There is something also that was very interesting for me in the book about the the future of jobs. How yes. are going to be jobs in the future? Uh, technology is advancing. Um, the unemployment rate in the, the the U.S. is very low, but at the same time, we have a lot of poor workers, like it happens here in in Europe, in Spain. So. When we think about how is going to be the job in the future, what is what is going to be like? This happening? I mean, are we going to work less but get less income also? The quality of life is going to change because there is no enough money for everybody. What's the? How do you envision it? I think the the basic idea is that um, a lot of the techn-
2: technological marvel that we have right now, uh, the worldwide uh, information revolution, robotics, artificial intelligence, all those cool things, self-driving mm-hmm. vehicles. They make it possible to do things better, cooler, uh, safer, uh, lots of uh, opportunity. but uh, and, uh, and the shorthand for an economist would say they make a bigger pie, the economic pie. But the pie is really cut in a different way also by these same technologies. You don't need uh, the low-skill work as much. Uh, The demand for labor goes down. Wages go down. Jobs aren't available because uh, you don't even need a barista, because the machines are automatic. They take your iris scan. They take your automatic online payment. They give you your usual coffee. And uh, and a lot of uh, service sector jobs, uh, which were the jobs that were created, probably those will quickly go away. So what does one make of that uh, weird combination of better things to do, but this shift of income distribution? Well, there you can then imagine the dystopia society uh, in which the robots do all the work, a few people basically own them, and everybody else suffers. And we've got enough sci-fi, uh, science fiction, to uh, tell us that that's uh, one, one course that's possible. But the other idea is that with all this wonderful technology, we're able to live better, have more leisure time. But there must be some fair sharing of this bigger pie. And so taxation comes back into the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't let all the wealth go to a few people. You make sure that it's widely spread and that we're able to share the benefits.
0: And now we have Jeffrey Sachs on politics. Well, the, the roadmap you are um, sort of describing for solving the big challenges of the U.S., it does sound sensible, but it could be a little bit too radical for Republicans having the majority in Congress and for Trump. So if you are honest, how high are the chances for implementation of this policy?
2: Right now, very small. but. Uh, over a reasonable number of years much higher than it looks Bernie Sanders could be president right now you know his he lost to Hillary by a pretty narrow margin Uh, and if things had gone you know a little bit differently maybe if the system uh, wasn't uh, so biased against uh, his kind of challenge uh, he would have won and I think he would have defeated uh, Trump in the general election because they were both insurgents, and Bernie is, is the real thing. So we're not so far from it in American politics, and things that. So what
0: needs to happen? Uh,
2: well, better election results for one <laughs> thing, uh, more mobilized young people. Because I've. Uh,
0: but you be- don't see a chance in the current government for somebody to be open for this idea of. Now, for for
2: most of this, I don't think the Republican Party is about to. Uh, jump at this, but I do see this book as helping people to understand what the real issues are in the US. And one of my, I'll call it naive in quotation marks, ideas is that politics ought to be about ideas again. I think the whole world is, would root for that, that we get back to a politics of ideas. Now, if you look at the kinds of ideas that I'm propounding, The millennial generation, roughly 20- to 35-year-olds, this is already a majority view. There's nothing in what I'm saying that is outlandish. So they're
0: Uh, in favor of increasing taxes? They're in favor of larger
2: government. They're in favor of government responsibility. The word uh, social, which was a nightmare for Fox TV viewers and uh, a lot of uh, older Americans, um doesn't phase them at all young people that term 30 years ago would have been you're a commie uh you know get out of here uh, but now young people are saying yeah we we need
3: something different i would like to follow something that you said uh, in this in this program uh, we need politicians who think who think uh, long term um, planning it's an idea that is repeated uh, um, several times in the in the book uh, but okay at the same time, politicians want results. Many voters want results immediately. We have this culture of uh, fast uh, TV cycle uh, news. So, what is the roadmap to change hmm. that? How can we go to a society more quiet, more th- thinking more? I mean, have there's a, in
2: psychology the famous marshmallow test where you put a four year old in a room with a marshmallow or a piece of chocolate and the psychologist tells the child um, you could eat that now or I'm going to go out of the room for a couple of minutes but if, if you wait till I come back for a few minutes uh, you can have two mm-hmm. uh, and so it's a test of delayed gratification and what psychologists discovered is that four-year-olds that are able to delay their gratification have a life course by high school and so Mm -hmm. forth that are is much more successful so you learn something about a four-year-old you can predict something uh, way down the road so i i've been saying for a long time uh, that america fails the marshmallow test because we can't delay gratification every politician comes in we're going to cut your taxes we're going to cut your taxes or obama who i liked and supported but then was very disappointed with uh When it came to infrastructure, he said we need shovel-ready infrastructure, which in the American jargon means the project already has to be ready. We have to be able to implement it. Why? Take a moment. (laughs) Think plan you know you can't shovel ready a fast rail a faster rail intercity rail you have to take time to think
0: after the first weeks um in office of trump would you like to change something to the book maybe add something more basic to it explain what it means to be the president of the u.s and
2: um... well i i should have written it only with 140 characters you know (laughs) the the, the mistake was to write a whole book even though it's a short one i Apparently, this guy doesn't read, Uh, but uh, maybe some of his advisors will read. And uh, I'm uh, thinking, and I've heard some nice things back from uh, Capitol Hill. Uh, And I've talked to the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus in uh, the U.S. Congress, which is about 80 of the more left-of-center politicians. And uh, I'm
3: suggesting some very practical things uh, that Mm -hmm. I think they can do. The, the straight question is: If you feel that the Trump presidency is going to complete the four years, or if it's yeah. really a, a, a matter of months or years, or something <laughs> could happen, and in that case, I'm wondering if the U.S. institutions are strong enough now to resist or to to fight against something like this. I'm thinking about. 30, 40 years ago. uh, The US Supreme Court was strong. The Congress had really really big figures in in politics. Um, Press was prestigious and now the press is... is. So is really a balance of power strong enough if there is the point that uh, they have to fight or they have to oppose or they have to impeach uh, a presidency like the Trump's? The US isn't wrecked.
2: Uh, The US has very strong institutions in many areas. If they were tasked with helping to solve some of these problems, which is what a wise politician would do, he would say to the National Academy of Sciences, we have an infrastructure challenge. What would be a a good way forward? And The National Academy of Engineers would have some of the world's best engineers to give ideas about that. Our politicians don't do that. They don't even remember to do that anymore Mm. because they're all taking money and trying to uh, run for run for office, and that's the whole game is money and ads and and uh, and power, not solving problems.
1: And campaign finance, you mentioned. Especially
2: maybe. the campaign financing is uh, is relentless. What's wrong with the American system? Uh, I think there's some things that are close to the surface that are obvious, uh, and the the worst is the money in politics. Mm-hmm. It's pervasive. We have one of the most corrupt politics of any place in the world that I know. It's probably true that most of the money isn't going into the pockets of the politicians themselves, though some is. I think there is a deeper problem, which is a a really tricky problem, which is that America prides itself on its stability uh, of a constitution which was adopted in 1789. We've had one constitution for more than two centuries it's pretty impressive but if I were uh, to evaluate the quality of the Constitution now I think we've learned enough to know that there are some very deep flaws in it a bit uh, out of date to my <laughs> mind uh, the, the biggest flaws uh, I would not have a president at all I would uh, or would I would have a president that's ceremonial, mm-hmm. maybe even king or queen. Uh, but I would uh, instead uh, have a parliamentary system. Uh, we'd be much less likely to have a Trump uh, that way because we would be, the president wouldn't be this powerful figure that can run wars and start wars by themselves. And I regard that as a huge flaw uh, of the American system. And the system is really at this point not designed for long-term planning and thinking. So right we're now. running a
1: bit out of time, Katherine, I give you uh, <laughs> one more one more <laughs> chance. To, uh, what, what would oh, you like to finish with?
0: Um, well, maybe a little bit um, your approach to um, well, maybe to certain countries and to economics. You yes. you came quite a long way, and I remember some. Um, Books you wrote about E.T. and how to help countries like this, and um, and now we are—you've wrote a book about the U.S. So would you consider the U.S. Um, underdeveloped country because your focus has been on underdeveloped countries for so long? So
2: I said to myself, uh, and I remember when I decided it uh, back in the early '80s, the U.S. can take care of itself. I'm going to help. Uh, Poor countries developing countries countries in crisis, and I said just I thought the marginal product of uh, The work would be higher if I was helping countries that were struggling with poverty or disease or other issues But then I came to feel my god are we off track It's not the problem of managing poverty as much as the problem of managing affluence uh, in in the sense that the United States has everything it needs but cannot manage decency right now, taking care of people that need help, thinking about the long term, stopping the greed for long enough to say we're going to handle the environmental crises. So I came back to writing and thinking about the US already several years ago with a book called The Price of Civilization because I came to feel the US is in its own crisis. Uh, And it is a real crisis. Now it's a crisis of the world. Uh, Because the U.S. has enough weapons and enough might and enough power and enough centrality in the economic system that when things go wrong in the U.S., like the 2008 financial crash, God forbid, with the current president, uh, everybody uh, pays a price on that. So we better actually take some time to fix the U.S. But I'm not trying to fix it to make it more wealthy, blah, 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 because that's not the point. It's to be... Managing affluence, smart, (laughs) fair, and sustainable, which is really the point. Thanks, sir.
1: I think we'll have to uh, end it there. Those are the the catchwords of the book, uh, and a very good, very good note to end on. You you mentioned the economist's concept of marginal products, and the the return on on time and effort matters uh, is very large uh, in the United States context. Matters for the whole world as well. I think we've had a very good marginal product from this discussion. We've got through a lot so. of ground. Thank <laughs> yeah. you so much for, for joining us. Thank you, Katerina and Carlos, uh, for your questions uh, and uh, all of you for joining us.
0: Thanks for listening to PS Voice. Go beyond the news with Project Syndicate by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and by reading our greatest minds at www.project-syndicate.org.